Welcome to Guaranteed Adventures, where the stories may change, but the adventure is guaranteed. This is a very special adventure we're calling a creator quest, where we're partnering with different uh, other creators in the same TTRPG space, telling stories together. And this one is a special collaboration we're doing with Dale from at Ride on Dale. So he will be GMing this adventure in a system that he's currently created. So Dale, welcome to Guaranteed Adventures. Hey guys, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I like what you've done with the place. I see that the drapery <laughs> has been freshly pressed. Are these doilies? It's yes, uh, hand knit by Nathan. Actually, yep. Get Nathan, from my mom. you craftsman. <laughs> you rolled a nat twenty on your home ex studies, didn't you? Yeah, I learned from the best. Yeah, <laughs> well, gotta make mom proud. <laughs> <laughs> so for this creator quest, we've got me, uh, Tim, and here we also have Nathan and Kyle. I'm here. And um, Dale. Hi, I'm still mm -hmm. here. Still here. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited, you guys. This is going to be awesome. Oh, yeah. Yes. Let's get into it. We're going to be going through a couple scenes pretty quickly to start off. And we're going to be giving you guys the chance to experiment with the social mechanic here. You may even have the chance to get into some combat, but that is going to be that's going to be based on how you choose to engage with the world. Now, I want to impress on you that your decisions will matter. This story is going to have an immense effect, not just on, you know, our working relationship, but also on the world of Eshelbel. And I want you, as you're thinking about that, the instinct to be a murder hobo is not one that I've sensed from y'all. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm very deliberate in how I give my players the chance to make choices. And I want you to feel free to engage with this world and to be asking questions so that we can discover together. All right? All right. Okay. Let us begin. The last time you tasted water from the sky was at the funeral. Each one of you, your people, you saw the deceased in different ways. Some saw the great chieftain, the leader and diplomat. Others saw the father, decisive and discerning. Still others saw the tyrant, bloodthirsty and cunning. And still more saw the weight that only someone like him could bear. No one could see the mountain that the great Volfang Garen Kyverson once bore upon his shoulders. Even up to the moment he was executed, the Volfang pled on behalf of his people. No one doubted he was a man of courage, but in that moment, each of you knew his fear was not for death, but for the weight he bore to rest upon you. Now, we won't be introducing your characters directly just yet. Right now, I want to ask you about their mindset. Each of you be thinking about your characters as they are thinking about this new vacancy in this nation of survivors after this great war that you have just survived, essentially you are vagabonds. You, you have no banner. Your entire leadership structure has been removed violently, almost in retribution for the acts against the new world superpower. Do you think you viewed the Volfang, this military leader, more as a leader, more as a father, more as a tyrant, or more as a carrier of this great weight? Let's go around the table and maybe let's have Tim start. Um, I think my character is was viewing him 
I think more as a leader, uh, as as someone who who saw a need, and someone who did his best to fulfill that need in giving direction to people. And now, without that leadership, uh, he the the future in his mind is a little more uncertain and can feel kind of the uncertainty of the people around him uh, and knows that that can lead to uh, very tense situations very quickly. And I think as as you look around at your fellow vagabonds of these survivors, I think that you would feel everyone is trying their best. And as we'll describe shortly, you know that this great journey that you've undertaken is taking its toll, even on top of the weight that's now resting on you now. Yeah. But even behind their eyes, I think you know that as much as they might hope for survival, they are, it's not a true hope. Right. The, the, the constant that was there in the leadership is, is uh, brought into question because now there is no leader. Exactly. And with that lack of focus, that lack of direction, what you might assume is the hope for survival is more of the fear of destruction. And that's what I think your character might clue in on as to the real motivation why these people are pushing on. So, Nathan, why don't you share your character's thoughts? Sure. So my character thought of it as more of the, like there was a burden that was on him that now, like now in his passing has been lifted from him, <laughs> but now recognizes also. So like he's happy to see that like that burden is, he no longer has to deal with that burden, but now he knows that burden is up for someone else. To, to bear and he's he's had a history with power and with leading leadership but it went poorly and so he knows he knows like what's the cost and like what's at stake especially with wh- where they've how everyone's gone so far and yeah. just kind of feels more of a reverence at this moment like happy for the I guess the now former leader but to be moving on I love that like is more just looking kind of more with sadness amongst the crowd of like thinking the next new leader is going to be one of us in the crowd here. You hear as you're walking along this path, you hear babies crying. You hear women and children weeping and you hear elderly voices grunting, groaning and sighing with a great effort, even beyond the the lack of strength on their bones anymore, but all of these are trekking alongside you. And I think that that sadness, you, you clue into the sadness within the crowd, not just the unease, but the deep pressure, depression, you could even call it, that is resting on everyone. And then Kyle, I believe. <laughs> I'm going over my brain. Let me know, what would your character think in this moment of the past whole thing? Um, he would somewhat think of him as a leader, but also as, like, his main source of, like, income slash, like, livelihood. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, all of a sudden he's all... He's, he's went through a lot, but he now doesn't know who he is, in a way. Mm-hmm now that his employer is dead. Yeah. With the leadership structure, you know that there's no true leadership here. In fact, 
The only reason that this group is able to function and stay united is because someone has stepped up. Someone has taken the helm. And it was actually someone who has garnered a reputation in the worst way. Now, as we look on this, this audience, we'll get to this individual in a moment, but as we look to the surrounding people, the elderly, the children, the widows, the fatherless, and even some fathers without sons, I want you to be imagining, I'm not going to have you describe, but I want you to imagine how your character would engage with any of these people, if at all. I want you to be thinking about that. But as you're working forward and as you're um, perhaps helping, as you are grabbing a hand cart, as you are soothing an ox as they try to work a wagon out of the mud, you hear a voice above your heads. Keep moving. We'll make Cuval by sunset. Standing on a boulder above you, a powerful orc is shouting orders. This exodus is led on by the man on the boulder, the Volfang's heir apparent, Fledge Garrison. He stands a full head taller than those of his kind, and his shoulders are bleeding and scarred by whips and flails. He's shaved his head in mourning and does not look behind him when bellowing for the people of the Felwinger Alliance to push forward. This man, Fledge, is protected with another orc, smaller, but standing very close by. He is the last surviving, surviving Wolfengard, a half-orc with light blue skin and piercing sea-green eyes. He wears animal skins, pauldrons, fine dwarven metal boots, and a great axe nearly as tall as he is rests in his hands like a walking stick. These two men are the last vestiges of the, what you might call the old guard, of the alliance between the orc-kin, volfolk, taurins, automata, and goblins that comprise this Thelwinger group. These two carry the title of the Paksu combat leader and the dress of the royal guardian. But they're not Paksu. In fact, these, these bear the crest of leadership only because of the diplomatic work of the previous leader. Their dress, their titles are borrowed because of the alliance that Volfang Garen struck with the other leaders and the other tribes of Volfolk, Torrens, Automata, and Goblins. Now, you approach this city of Kilval, which two years ago, your army destroyed. It was an artisan town. It was super easy for you guys to do, but it was a strategic shipping point that you took it took less than a day for the city to fall. The walls look immensely more fortified now. After two years, it stands with tall parapets, a watchtower on every outward corner, an armed guard patrolling the ramparts and exterior grounds. Before the sun can fully disappear, your exodus of 10,000 civilians is routed, rebuffed, bullied, and frightened away. Because of your decisions two years ago, the decisions of the leadership of these people. I'm going to grab a D100 for you. You, out of your 10,000, have lost 31 souls. 
Rain splatters down your cloaks, clinks on your armor, and soaks you through like ice water. It's almost entirely dark now, and it can't be beyond 8 p.m. The storm is so heavy right now that that's how dark it got, and that's how quickly it got dark. Your only light comes from a few dozen torches throughout the camp. A few tents, patched, torn, or both, struggle against the gentle breeze and the pounding rain. One of the council is... You wouldn't see this just yet, but one of the upper council, the essentially the logistical, legislative leadership of this country that has been forced into action at the removal of the previous leadership. This legislator essentially is walking through the crowd. He's a representative of the Torrens. And specifically, Bison. His, he is... You can feel him coming. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I would imagine that you guys have kind of set up throughout the camp. It's 10,000, near 10,000 strong. So this is a pretty broad populace to be able to squeeze into a small geographic area. But you've found in the bend of these mountains that there is some respite near a hillside. And you have found yourselves towards the top of the hill. I would even say that you guys can kind of begin to introduce yourselves. And I will say that your associations with the different leadership here are what's going to draw you forward. In fact, Windtrek. Yes. Tim playing Artorin Windtrek. I would love for you to describe yourself and what you would be doing after settling in for the night. How did you bed down and what are you doing now as the rain is pouring? Yeah. Uh, so Windtrek is um, a Torin, uh, a bison folk. Uh, and he, towards the end of the evenings, uh, especially in traveling, he's noticed that there are uh, quite a few babies that are having troubles going to sleep and calming down and just, you know, being out of sight of the norm, just being outside of the normal thing. And so uh, he kind of w- does a lap, of maybe a, a mile-ish area that he just kind of walks around and um, spends his last energy, whatever he has left from the day, uh, just using some uh, eternal magic to help calm those babies down for the parents and for the families in an mostly unknown way. Uh, he tries as much as possible to, to just be in the shadows and kind of calm them from a distance. But he's, uh, before he returns to his little his little spot, uh, he's got a, a shawl cover, like a multicolored uh, muted shawl that he's got uh, on him. Some leather leather pants, uh, leather shoes. He's kind of a stockier build, but but not heavy or, or hefty. But definitely uh, has some some muscle on him, and and um, seems like he's very used to being outside and being out in the in the elements. Uh, he doesn't if if somebody else needs a tent, he gives up his uh, and just stays. He's probably so he's probably outside, uh, just letting the rain fall on him uh, as he falls asleep or tries to rest the at this area this region of Ashobel's continent of Malbanara Malbanara is kind of like America in that it is both a continent and a nation mm. um this area of Malbanara is technically plains land but there are clusters of trees and groves that pop up which is where you guys have kind of gravitated near this hillside 
And because you're so close to the center of camp, I would argue that your experience with this arcana, with magic, with the eternal arts, is what drew you to the center of camp. People know you and they have known, even if you try to be anonymous, the leadership before, I think that they would have caught notice and okay. would have invited you to stay close. Okay. And in their absence, I feel like there is this pressing habit, if anything, to draw you closer to where the command tents would be. Gotcha. Yeah, so then he's he's uh, probably pretty close to uh, some of those command tents, kind of staying uh, more central. It's at this point that you see a child tauren. It's it's like one of those milk cows, this like brown or dark, dark brown or black spotted white cows that just kind of clomps up the road and says with his little gaggle of friends, there's even a wolfolk, a, vol- a wolfkin, little little boy that this girl is talking to. Did you see that? My mum, my mum just got my mum's baby, my sister. She was crying, and then all of a sudden she just stops and she's just cooing, and then it was annoying. And then her friend was like, Yeah, that was that was rough. I didn't like that. Your sister's kind of annoying. Well, she's my sister. You can shush, okay? I just thought it was it was so come here, come look, come look. I don't know what happened, but she's okay now. Come on. And the two kids sprint off. Uh, Wintrek just has a uh, a broad smile uh, on his face uh, as he listens to these kids talk about the the wonders of the world of magic that they know nothing about. I want you to roll your d6 and okay. apply either instinct or awareness. Okay. Let's do let's do aware. It's excellent. Okay. Uh, it's a five. Okay. Total. Total. Yep. Rolled a okay. two. Got a plus three for my aware. Awesome. So with that, you sense almost this sixth sense that you've been able to develop over the past few months and years. You sense the approach of a force. A It's like picturing a sandstorm coming at you at full speed. And there's nothing in between you and it. But the sound that greets your ears is you better be careful with where you throw that little smile around or these people will get wise to you. And from behind you, you feel a heavy hand clap on your shoulder and you look up at another male bison folk. And this one, if you you describe yourself as being kind of stocky, this man is hefty. And it's, (laughs) it's, he's got a little paunch. He's got that dad gut. He is, he is a brown, straight brown bison folk. And you know him as the representative of your tribe of Torrens. His name is Algerman. And he has these, in the darkness, it's hard to see because his eyes are so dark, but he has these rich brown eyes that are almost like a coffee bean in that rich, you know what I'm talking about, that yeah. rustic, rich brown. And... He is kind of smirking down at you, even as you're kind of sitting there and he has a hand on your shoulder. As much good as you do, I'm surprised that someone of your caliber and skill doesn't just say, hey, that was me. But <laughs> I certainly appreciate the uh, effort and anonymity. Yes, Elder. I, uh, it's, I believe, to all of our best interests that somebody with 
my talents and skills can remain a little bit more on the anonymous side so that our work can be as efficient as possible. But I thank you for the praise, Elder uh, Algerman. He nods to that, kind of a deep, respectful, acknowledging nod. You know, uh, you may have been anonymous over the past few years due to the war, and I recognize that you being here is more of a necessity than enrollment or enlistment. But I want you to know that what you may have suffered in Brule, well, just know that when we get home, you will be welcomed with open arms. Open arms are a dream that only happens on the best of nights, it seems. And unfortunately, we you haven't may have had, to work for that dream. We haven't had too many of those. No. <laughs> <laughs> And he, his, his countenance kind of falls a little bit as he sighs. No, not really. How are things looking moving forward here? I know our leader has been gone now, and is there, are there talks of a replacement officially? Well, and he kind of leans in a little bit. He's had his, he has his hands on his hips now. Between you and me, I think that, uh, why don't you come with me and, uh, We'll start to hash that out. It would be an honor. I want you to roll awareness one more time. And if yeah. you'd like, you can even apply a different stat if it falls under social. Now, actually, I've only got aware marked under social, so. Go for it. We'll Do just it. keep it with that. Yeah, yeah. Hey, that's a six on the die, so it's a nine. Excellent. So with your nine, dice tell stories. <laughs> you're able to glean from that little comment of his that as the representative re- representative English is hard representative <laughs> of the Torrens that one of the top things on his mind is to ensure that they establish who what the leadership structure is and you also glean that his motivation in this coalition of different groups and races and tribes is to disband Oh, okay. Like disband the entire group of tribes into our separate tribes? Or yes. just just disband the, the Torrens from his, Salvinger? His comments returning home with open arms was not misplaced. He was very cognizant of his intentions to bring the Torrens home to their people. Okay. And if that means that they split off from the rest of the army, that's fine. Okay. Now... That in mind, he offers a hand down to you from the ground and says, Come on, I'm going to have you come with me on this one. Yeah, Wintrek will take the hand and, and uh, follow. There you go. <laughs> on your feet. Gives you a hearty slap on the back. <laughs> and then he's going to guide you towards the command tents. Nice. Now, we're going to jump to our other characters. Nyrex. Hello. I would love to know what it is that Kyle has in store for Nyrex in this camp. What have you been up to as the camp has been settled? Um, most nights Nyrex spends alone just trying to, he has, like, he has amnesia, so he doesn't remember a lot of his life. He only remembers past when he 
woke up from his clan being destroyed. So he yeah. spends most nights just trying to remember, trying to get, trying to remember what he's what he's missing. Mm-hmm. So he'll go out into and just like scout, because that's something that was built into his body. Mm-hmm. He just the first night he woke up, he just went out and just started scouting, and he just has a feeling he always needs to be know he needs to know what's going on at all times. I'll say this. As you've been scouting, you make your way outside of the perimeter of the camp where the tents begin and the settlements begin and where the plains end. Now, your your army, this, this group, this coalition has made camp on this hillside. And it's, it's pretty large, but it doesn't have everyone there. There's little hills and vales between other smaller hills. This is probably the biggest geographically in the area. But you notice that as much light as is being produced, as little as it is, considering these are torches, not lanterns, and they are fighting off a strong wind and a strong rainstorm, that you look out into the fields, the fields of Mergtha, which were recently named by the orcs, meaning mud made of blood. Your final battle took place on the fields of Mergtha, the execution of Volfang Garen was on those fields. And as much light as there might be behind you, you gaze out into the darkness of the fields of Mergthaw and see a jet black emptiness. In fact, the only thing that is catching your attention in that blackness, that might be rain, that might be falling, but you can't tell. It is just this oppressive darkness that is robbing the light of everything in front of you. And you realize there's a part of you that connects to the fact that there is this pinprick of light, even though you've been surrounded by darkness. Now, you are a scout, and there are certain instances where you would be focused on helping and taking on jobs. You're, you're looking for a way to pay through your life and to get your life back. In this instance, I think that one of your chief assignments was acting as a scout on behalf of the leadership of the Volfang Garen. But since Garen is passed, you fall to the next best thing. So you would, you would, I'm not sure how, would you go quickly or at your own slow pace to find the representatives of the Skaladren? I think it would depend on if I know them. This, like if you I've have had them. some associations since the beginning of this campaign this conquest this war okay but predominantly your your touch point was Volfang Garen I think he would go quickly because he wants to just find his next assignment and move on if that makes sense yeah so you speed into into town stealthily or not you're pretty adept at being able to move and work through a crowd so even if people are kind of shifting supplies around and make sure people have things to eat, um, you're able to find your way back into proximity with this guy. And as you get into contact, you find the tent. This is one of the more rundown tents. And it's, it's that way for a reason. The, the man inside that you're about to go chat with, you know 
And you might have formed your own opinion about the man, but he has given away what provisions he had for repair to other people in the army. Not just not just Scaladren. He's given it to the Torrens, the Warforged, the Goblins even. In fact, you see just before you cross into the tent, there's this little train of goblins that are just kind of, oh, I got a raccoon. Oh my gosh, you got the raccoon. Oh, I eat so good tonight. Let's get on a spigot. Get on a spigot. Spigot. No, I'm just going to eat it raw. No, what are you doing? And you just hear them bickering over a raccoon. You'll cross into the tent. The tent's, you know, it's it's built for, for bad weather, but it is torn. It is patched in some places, but it's looking worse for wear than others. As you were outside the tent, you hear the heavy rain pitter-pattering on the fabric on the canvas but the minute you open the door you hear if if a feeling could be heard i'm going to do my best to describe this to you you feel almost more than you hear you smell cinnamon you smell spices you smell bread you you hear screams of small children you say you hear no, it's mine. You hear someone in the corner is singing quietly to themselves, to herself. And you hear cooing in that same direction as well. You see at least 10 Scaladrin of various ages that have this swirl of black and blue scales. Now, there's only two people in this tent that have that kind of a structure, that kind of a spackling. The first is the woman that you hear singing over in the corner. She has this very reptilian, it's not quite humanoid, but she has this almost like gecko-looking head, bright yellow eyes, and she's the one sporting the black scales with tinges of gray and silver glinting through. She is rocking an infant, a baby, to sleep in her arms. And a baby Scaladron, I should specify. In the center of the tent, you suddenly hear this, Oh, you got me there! <laughs> and you see three more Scaladron children, probably aging from five to eight, that are rolling and tackling this large, pot-bellied, Galadrin man, blue scales that shimmer like sapphire. His eyes are a vibrant green. Uh, these children are, of course, a mix of the blue scales and the black scales of their mom and dad. But they look up. One of them has green eyes. One of them has blue eyes. And one of them has a blue and a green eye. And they all look up to you as you approach. How are you feeling being surrounded by all of this noise, this activity, this warmth? Um, Nyrax feels very out of place. He it, what goes through of, your head he, in this moment then? What am I getting myself into? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is beautiful. Now, in the course of doing that, you I almost imagine like you are trying to sidestep you lift your feet high over the top of rolling children on the ground. One of them is trying to steal a wooden sword from the other one. The mom's not doing anything. She's just beaming at these kids wrestling on the ground. You sidestep an older Scaladrin, this a woman by the looks of it, um, who has that black scales from the younger one, the young mom across the room, and she's just kind of hobbling around. 
Oh, now, sweetie, be careful. You don't. And just kind of dotting on the other kids as they play. Um, but you're dodging, you're weaving, you're overstepping, you're almost jumping in certain situations. You're dodging this flurry of activity as you finally get to the wrestling ring that is comprised of this older Skaladron man, this father, you would assume, that you've come to know, and the three children on top of him. And the three of them look up at you and go, <gasps> Daddy, it's, it's time for your business. You got to get up. It's, it's time to go. Yeah, Daddy, you got What are you going to go do to dive? Are you going to have another meeting? And the man you know as Crimrog is going to chuckle to himself. <laughs> well, here now is a, is a mighty fine problem we have. I got to get you kiddos to bed, but now I got to get going to do some work. Now, how should we handle this right now? How, how do you think? Any ducks down low? How do y'all think we should handle this right now? Huh? Should we... uh? Get another wrestling match in when I get back home. Can you stay up that late, huh? And these kids, yeah, yeah, daddy. That's right, because we don't give grounds for nothing. We are proud. We are the Scaladrin children of the lizard folk. And we will be victorious no matter the loss. Uh, he nods to himself as the kids Let's go around screaming, victorious, victorious. And they're just, they have no idea what he's talking about. He looks up to you after a sigh, talks ahead. Mr. Nyrex, how does the night fare for you? Well, you see, uh, Mr. Crimlock, I am just, I was out scouting and I saw great emptiness and I just, I don't know what else to do right now. So I was hoping you could give me some purpose. Some purpose? And he, he strokes. Scaladrin don't grow hair. They're, they're lizards. They don't have the ability to produce that. But he would stroke the flesh that's kind of hanging off of his jowls under his chin. Like the skin has been so stretched that he just uses that as would be his beard now. He's stroking that part of his skin, his scales. As he looks at you and crosses his arms in front of his chest, kind of resting over his huge pot belly. You're looking for a purpose as if there was something more behind your eyes you ain't telling me. Now, I, I know you've got some things to work on, but... No, give it back! It's mine! I told you! Hey, now! Everyone in the tent kind of ducks a little bit. They all turn to look at Dad. Please forgive me, my loved ones, but I'm trying to have a little conversation. Do I need to step outside or can I stay in here with y'all? It's cold out. And you hear this murmur of, sorry, sorry, Daddy, sorry, Daddy, sorry, Daddy, sorry, hon. And all these different, like, cross conversations. It's, the feeling is that they respect their father, but that, He's also a leader, and they recognize that. It, this family is known. This family knows what the routine is. When he's on business, that's what's the priority. Now, Rog settles back on you. I think that perhaps y'all you, go on and play. Stop listening in. You know the drill. I think that in your case, Mr. Nyrex, that uh, there needs to be... A purpose that you elect 
not just for the sake of having something to do or for a, he kind of lays it, little bit of corn, if we're being quite honest with ourselves, if you know what I mean. But, uh, I just want you to know that when this is all said and done, your purpose is your own. And that you should be thinking about that now. The war is over. And we, uh, we don't rightfully have a place to go at the moment, so ideas would be most welcome. And hearing that, I can only imagine what Nyrex is thinking. Like, he's just clued you into a perspective that you might have had a fear of, I imagine. But that's specifically for the Skaladren, that there is something behind the scenes that you don't know about. I want you to roll either smarts or awareness. And from there, we will we'll proceed. Choose which one. Roll a d6 and let me know your end result. Uh, four. Which stat? Uh, awareness. There is something... When you have done immense work, your muscles can twitch. Those quick-fire muscles are trying to activate and rest at the same time. In this moment, there's something within you that twitches like one of those muscles, but it's, it's not physical. It is something in your mind, something that when he's talking about and hinting at these things that the Skaladren are suffering... Something in the back of your head starts to twitch. And I think that you have an opportunity here. This isn't necessarily a mechanic in game, but I want to give you the chance to roll drive or any other stat that you think would be able to empower you to open that up further to see if you recall something. Would instinct do anything? Instinct in this situation, I feel, would be more about your senses. So gathering your senses, ignoring your senses, trying to hone in on that feeling and see what you can glean from it, I think that would give you some something worthwhile to attain. So yes, go ahead and roll, and we will see how we do. That would be an eight. An eight. Is that a crit? Yes, it was a six on the die. Excellent. Eight. Okay. Wow. All right. <laughs> so you feel that twitch in your memory and you do the best you can to shut off your senses, to gain that control of yourself, to use your sensory capacity and that mastery of yourself to really focus. The noise, the... Daddy, it's time. it's time for your no, business. It's mine. You gotta no, get up. It's, it's time to go. It's mine. Hey, I told gotta, you. What are you gonna hey, do tonight? You're gonna have yeah, a yeah, all this noise fades. It's as if you are slowly leaving down a tunnel. And the noise becomes more muddled and more muddled. Until over time, there's literally nothing that you can understand from anything anyone is saying. In bursts, you see flashes of flame... You see armored horsemen and armored horses. You see the swing of a blade towards you. You see an arc of red as the sword is removed from someone else near you. You see and hear a voice. No one messes with Malbanara. 
And with that last voice echoing in your mind, you snap back to the present. All of that noise comes back. And I think after that, you would be pretty well-winded. Yeah. It's, it's at this moment that Krimrog clues in. Are you all right, son? I think Nyrax would be panting a little bit. Lizards can pant. And... Sure. <laughs> I think it, the only thing he would say, he would just like... He would just say, Malbinara? What is Malbinara? Well, you know Malbinara. And I think that Malbinara is... It's kind of a colloquial at this point. It's the nation that just decimated yours. Okay. And in that way, he could have, at that point... That back then, you didn't know what Malbinara was. What the memory you just gleaned into, you didn't know what Malbinara was. So, when asking what is Malbinara, it's that part of you that was locked away by your amnesia that is suddenly being forced to the front as you pressure yourself into focusing on it. And that it's it's kind of like when you come back home after a long time, you instinctively act in the way that you did before you left. And it just kind of slips out. It's, it's what is Malbinara? But then Krimrog is still looking at you, kind of blinking. Son, I think that you and I ought to get some hair. <laughs> and he starts to laugh. His belly is jiggling as he does. I think that is a good idea. Oh, come on now. Let's uh, let's step outside for a moment. And he'll lead you back outside. Now, at this moment, the two of you out in the rain, you've gotten your cloaks on, and Krimrog has kind of given kisses and smooches and waves to as many as he could on his way out, and it kind of takes a little longer. How would you feel about seeing this man taking time to interact with every member of his family on his way out the door? think it'd be like thinks he just doesn't know why he would be doing that i feel like nyrax is very much we need to get things done asap yeah even if it's just uh, we're stepping out for air we need to do that so we can move on to the next thing right he'd be the person who wouldn't stop for any side quests or anything he'd be going straight through right. the main story <laughs> <laughs> yes we're on the main plot line now main quest only <laughs> That's good to know. But I think it also gets him, like, because since he doesn't have memories and too many memories, he just is trying to figure out people as well. So he's trying to figure out why someone would do that as well. Yeah. Now, as you step out, you see looming in the darkness, silhouetted by the torches behind two broad-shouldered men approaching, and by the shape of them, you know them to be torrents. They have the the double-angled legs, they have the broad shoulders, and kind of hunched as well. Bison folk are one of the more hunched shoulders. It's like they have no neck at all. It's just their head has been moved down into their chest, it looks like, at times. Mm-hmm. Um, but these two bison folk, these two torrents are approaching, and while you may not have met one another in the past, you have seen the one quite often in your interactions with Krimrog. 
as you've bounced back and forth between the leadership and especially in seeing this this Algerman being so close to Garen. And you recognize him as Algerman, of course. And as Krimrog steps outside, he goes, Yes. Oh, howdy there, Algerman. And he, his countenance has kind of gotten a little hard with that. And the Torin kind of stops short as they, as they reach your side. Grimrod. So, uh, where are you off to? We're, uh... And he'll, he kind of folds his arms across his broad Torin chest. We're headed up to the command tent. Can't suppose you can be troubled to join us. And I want to ask, with the two player characters present, would you want to clue into one another at this moment, or would you be focused on your leaders? How are you taking in the situation right now? Winchuck probably hasn't, maybe has seen him, but not taken specific notice of him, especially around, uh, actually, maybe he has, since Winchuck has spent some time close to the command tent, probably saw mm-hmm. Nyrex going in, Get in and out for Garen, getting some, you know, work from him. Uh, so he's just kind of gonna look at him a little close, a little closer, and kind of maybe give a little, a little friendly, friendly nod uh, his way, but kind of stay mostly focused on uh, Algermon, knowing that Nyrex is somebody who is familiar with the command of the nation here. Nyrex, how would you respond? He uh, to the nod he would nod back, but uh, I think Nyrax would know bro code. Yeah, <laughs> well, he would know a lot about Wintrek because he wants to know about people. Like he's he's a scout, but he's also kind of a spy, assassin, all this, all these things. So he wants to know about everyone within his area, basically, and who could be a threat and who could be a ally and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but he's not sure why he does that. Because like it's like, like I said, it's like just something that he just he feels like he needs to do. Like it's just built into his body. Mm. So these two characters, Augerman and Krimrog, you you can both kind of glean. Actually, I'm going to see if you can glean. Both of you pick a social role of some kind. Okay. Let me know what stat, and then make your rolls and tell me your totals. Uh, I think I'm going to go with I might go with instinct. I'm going with instinct awesome. also. Okay. Nice. That's a four for Wintrek. Okay. That's a three. I rolled a one. <laughs> gotcha. So in that moment, Nyrex, the rain is is thick, and it just feels like it's getting thicker. Like, it's muddy. It's gross. Scaladrin are not nearly as cold-blooded as their ancestors, but they do have that tendency to not do well in cold temperatures. Mm-hmm. And as the temperature is dropping... You shiver to yourself, and for a moment, you think of the warmth of the tent behind you and the food and the smell of bread and cinnamon wafting out. On Wintrick's side, you got in a four, correct? Correct. Okay. You are able to hear the inflection of their voices. You're able to sense and see the slight tension in your representative's jaw. And you get the feeling like the tension is 
while people are amicable to the general citizenry, the leadership that remains the political side is still very much at odds and still has that tension even more palpably than the fear that has settled over the community. Okay. Beyond that, I can't give much else um, in this situation. Yeah. Is it, is it maybe like, and you might not be able to answer this either, but it's like a, is it like a healthy tension or is it like a animosity tension? It's the kind of tension where two alpha bros get in the same room. But in this case, the alpha bros are two very well-known and well-liked leaders in their respective communities and that they are trying to settle something. You get a feeling like there is some unresolved garbage skeleton in someone's closet that they are still trying to reconcile and are not. They're just barbing with the platitudes, okay. if that makes sense. Gotcha. And frankly, you know for a fact, like, I'll give you this with a four. Algerman is only inviting him out of propriety. Mm, he he would have, if he didn't run into him, he wouldn't have invited him. Exactly. Okay. And then, but at that point, Krimrog, without even waiting for, like, not even giving the illusion that he's going to think about it. Oh, yeah, of course. We were headed up that way in ourselves, weren't we here <laughs> now, Rex? Of course, Krimrog, we were. That's right. And he kind of like throws his head back up. He's actually shorter than, of course, he's shorter than, than Algermon. Mm. But there's this awkward silence for a moment as they kind of look each other up and down. They're kind of, you get the sense that they're waiting for the other person to say after you kind of a thing. Uh, in in seeing that, uh, Wintrek, I think, is going to, uh, kind of s- a feeling kind of the tension a little bit is going to step forward and uh, uh, say, Nyrex, it, uh, it's good that uh, you'll join us. Uh, and he'll, he'll just start walking, assuming Nyrex is going to come with him <laughs> and, and say, uh, I've, I've noticed you uh, in and out of the leadership tents uh, quite often. Um, it's... Uh, well, what? How do you feel our future is now that Garen is is past? I see much darkness, but in darkness there is always a little light. It's very. I, f- I feel the same. This camp, our nations, we are leading. We are not leading, but we are a part of. I think being that light is the way that we can continue the hope that Garen had. From behind you, you hear, <laughs> Leiden, huh? <laughs> and there's no more comment from behind because you hear this very bull-like snort, this... <laughs> <laughs> And there's a bit of aggression behind that little gesture. So the pair behind you are following and tensions are still very much present. Yeah. I'm going to actually pause us for a moment and we're going to take a quick little break uh, and we will jump into our final character player and our one of our two planned interactions uh, for this session.
And now, a word from our sponsor. Us. Get ready for an adrenaline-pumping adventure with the Guaranteed Adventures Clothing Merch Drop. Are you craving some high-octane style for your next holiday or outdoor escapade? Look no further. We've got the perfect gear to fuel your adventurous spirit, and it's all right here at the Guaranteed Adventures store. Picture yourself on the most epic holiday of your life, decked down in gear that screams, Adventure awaits! Our clothing is designed to empower you to conquer the unknown, and we guarantee you'll turn heads wherever your journey takes you. We've got you covered from head to wherever your waistline is. And don't forget our premium accessories, our coffee mug, and a fanny pack. But that's not all. When you snag our exclusive merch, you're not just getting clothing. You're You're joining a community of fellow adventurers who who live for the thrill of the unknown. Connect with like-minded souls who share your passion for exploration and discovery. So don't miss out on the adventure of a lifetime. Grab your Guaranteed Adventures merch today and let the world know that you're not just going on another holiday. You're embarking on a lifetime of epic adventures. Visit our website, guadventurepod.com, and be the first to buy into your Guaranteed Adventure. Do it! As we find ourselves coming back into the situation, as we see the rain pouring, the darkness abounding, tiny torches flickering in in the damp, wet weather, we happen to fall upon a large individual, hulking, brooding. And yet, behind his eyes, there's a sort of observation there. There's a curiosity there. And I think that we find that this behemoth of of a being actually has some investment in the things that he sees. He actually is cognizant and even caring of what he is noticing in this moment. Festig, I want to give you the chance to kind of pick where you go right now, where you show up, where we first see your character. I think I'd probably be more in amongst the the camp. Okay. I kind of had an idea in my mind of like going through kind of like checking rooms, but more so, I guess like with a purpose, like, Checking it more so to see, like, what all stuff of, like, remnants of the town, like, in buildings that were, like, were once in uh, Gilval, but, like, stuff that's ransacked, but just kind of tidying up things for those who are more weaker of heart, like, less, less evidence of civilization destroyed behind. I think in this situation that knowing... How things have played out is that when you went to Kilval for shelter, you were routed. The, the people there, the citizenry there, the soldiers there, what was once a decimated city that you might have played a direct part in, being the troll that you are, literally, I think that seeing that fortification would have surprised you. And you would have been thinking on your way over, this is going to be an easy sell. Like, we're going to come in, we're going to find some shelter. That was not the case. And that in this moment, you find yourself progressing forward with this camp. You had thought for sure that you would be inside these buildings, the ruins of these homes. But for now, you are in the rain. And I want you to describe to me what you're wearing, if anything. Sure. So I'm Festeg kind of wears a bit more like armor that he's kind of made himself a bit like it's he's kind of taken bones and different pieces like Cargus's kind of thrown about together. So it kind of has like a rib cage kind of covering his torso 
has like skulls, wow. kind of has like pauldrons, like kind of this intimidating figure. But like once you get to know him, you realize that like this is a bit of a facade he puts on for people. But he's got a bit more of a like he has a bit more heart underneath. But underneath I love the, all the the pointy exterior. I want you to take note of something for me. Write this down. One of your pauldrons, the skull on one of your shoulders, as broad as it is, comes from an infant shell spine. And as you are in the rain, that particular skull is absorbing more water than it should. It's, it's very porous, this bone. For whatever reason, it, it didn't prepare correctly. It might have been one of your first purchases or crafts yourself but it's the bone is still strong and dense but it's the nature of how it was dried caused it to be more porous so it sucks in more moisture over time and because of that there's a part of your cloak that is actually kind of dry i would imagine you have a little bit of a cloak or some kind of covering if not then that arm that shoulder is actually a little drier than the rest the rest of you yeah, there's a cloak with it. Gotcha. So that portion just underneath it would be a little bit less damp. In fact, it might just be damp because of the nature of how it, it functions. You say that you, you mentioned earlier, you'd be kind of peeping in and out, kind of checking around the rooms. You said that you were checking on people or are you just exploring? Um, It was more exploring, like making sure the people around feel comfortable where we are at least taking this stop here. I think in that moment, as you're looking around the tents and the makeshift shelters and the lean-tos, you would see a, a automata approaching with a couple literal tree trunks. Like, we're not talking like oaks or anything like that, but he's gathered trees, little, little spruce, little uh, cedars and spruces that are pretty thin still. It looks like he's uprooted them himself. <laughs> oh, my. Walks by you. His head kind of swivels so that his eyes are constantly centered on you as you walk down the path. Eventually, he turns sideways so the tree trunks do not bump you and allows you to pass. I want you to make a roll. And this is just a general roll. I'm not going to have you roll a skill for this. It's just for chance. But roll a d6 for me. Okay. <laughs> One. <laughs> Oh, boy. Okay. You happen to feel the urge to check in on someone's tent. And it's a smaller tent, smaller than the other ones around. And you open the tent flap and you hear, It's mine, 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 mine. And out of nowhere, you get smacked in the face with something and it's hot. It's dripping. It's got <laughs> bits of fur on it. And you realize that someone has been trying to cook raccoon. And has just thrown it into your face. <laughs> I just, or did you let this go to waste? This doesn't seem like a great idea. The goblins inside are absolutely terrified at your presence. <laughs> One of them has literally bolted, sliced through with a knife. He sliced through the back end of the tent. And the guy just next to him goes, This is my tent. What are you doing that for? And then the other two, Sassons, still looking at us. And at this point, I would just kind of take the raccoon as it's probably fallen off onto the floor or on the ground as it's like after hitting my face. I'm just like kind of trying to wipe off some of the dirt and just kind of offer it back. And I say, 
Uh, sorry for the intrusion. Curiosity got the better of me. You hold this thing, this thing. It's, it can't even be justifiably a, a raccoon anymore because they tried to skin it and they're trying to roast it and they're trying to argue and tug at it at the same time. But you hold it out, this this blop of flesh, basically, and the goblin glares up at you, bites your wrist and snatches it back and lets <laughs> you go, shuts the tent. <laughs> it's like, ah! Uh, buggers. <laughs> um, great. You are alone, and the tents around you have heard the ruckus. They've peeked out at you. I would imagine as you turn around that you see the tail ends of someone realizing, oh, he's looking this way, and shutting the tent door quickly, a little too quickly, as it goes kind of quiet by around where you're at, except for the sound of rain on the on the canvases and the, the tents. Yeah, I probably would just start walking off, just realizing, yeah, I've overstepped my welcome here, and just kind of find a different spot of camp to more, I guess, be around and make sure everything's all right there. Um, as you are sitting, you go to sit down when you hear someone calling, Hey, you! And I want you to give me your reaction to seeing two Skaladrin and two Torin approaching you. Now, for context, trolls are considered to be quite dumb. It's it's kind of colloquial outside of game. It's also pretty true in game. But based on how you've been portraying him, he's quite intelligent. So I want to understand how would your character react to kind of the brusque approach of these four individuals? Uh he probably would Hearing someone just yell out to him without addressing him by name, he takes initial guard at first of, like, all right, friend, foe, what are we dealing with here? Like, kind of tries to assess the situation first, but, like, kind of, once he sees that, like, there's multiple people, just kind of can take more of a a defensive stance, but then, like, kind of starts to get his hand towards on his back is a, like, a, his... A large club, what he likes to call his big stick. <laughs> and because uh, there is a wise person once told him to speak softly and carry a big stick. Uh, he, likes, uh, he likes the second half of that, not as much the first half. But <laughs> uh, but yeah, so he's kind of getting ready for whatever it may come with these people approaching him. Just ready to be more on, on the defense, but also ready to like not trying to look provocative. Yes. I think that in this situation, that phrase, speak softly and carry a big stick, it came from someone that was close to you, and it was someone that you admired. And you, even now, as you see these four approaching and that anxiety starts bubbling in your gut and in the back of your neck, you hear it come up into your memory. Speak softly. Just kind of echoing out. Speak softly and carry a big stick. And at that point, the four have arrived and are standing in front of you and have been for a moment as you've been collecting yourself. The one that was addressing you is just kind of like gaping at you. Now, uh, you uh, seem to be one of them uh, frontliners of the war. So, uh, and I would assume one of the things that I wanted to communicate with you is that trolls in this instance are the heavy hitters. They are the frontlinesmen of the war. So you would have been one of the chief soldiers 
one of the one of the first contacts of an invasion or of an attack. So you have a precedent as a troll to be a military soldier, kind of a tank in this way. Um, and this this Scaladrin approaching you and looking up to you, you stand probably, I would give you seven or eight feet tall, and they're all looking up at you, Torrens included. They are probably only seven feet tall. But this little Scaladrin is probably five feet, this pudgy little dude. So, uh, you're one of them soldier types, aren't you? Indeed. Well... Why don't you come up with us, make yourself useful, and escort us up to the command tent? Right this way. The, the Scaladrin, as you say that, the Scaladrin kind of smirks up at the Torin. The Torin doesn't even acknowledge the look and just follows the troll. <laughs> and I'm just kind of taking it more of a, as like, all right, they view me as a soldier. I will do as they hold up their expectations and lead the way. <laughs> not paying attention really to much behind any sort of glaring going on behind me. Just like, all right, I have my mission now. This is what I have to do for these, these four. So the five of you are now traversing up to the command tent and you being a soldier, I would imagine that you know where it is. This tent is the most well put together. There's not a lot of patchwork, not a lot of sewing done. It's still very much intact. Uh, as a troll, you are not often invited into command tents as a soldier. So you take the position outside the tent to be able to listen in to escort these people back to wherever they want to go. You are making yourself available in this moment. Um, how do the two of you other player characters react to this troll? Do you pay him a word? Do you walk inside? How do you interact or choose not to interact with the troll? Like I said earlier, I think Nyrax knows most people in the camp just, like, roughly. At least the ones that could be a threat or a potential ally. And I think he understands that that there's going to be, like, a leader of meeting, and he's not a leader, so as a somewhat of a bodyguard himself, he should probably stay outside as well. Yeah, 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 I got you. Wintrek's going to uh, let... Alderman and uh, Krimrog go in first, and then he'll kind of put uh, an arm on or a hand just kind of up on to uh, Festeg's shoulder and just say, uh, I know it's not always easy the things that are asked of us, and so I want to thank you for, um, for your service to all of us in this camp. I have my part to play. I have my job to fill. Might try saying that with a little more warmth than just reciting. <laughs> a little more heart to it. Because you do a wonderful job. Heart gets you killed in the battlefield. I've seen it too many times, unfortunately. But heart is necessary in defeat. And heart is what we need now. Why do you bring your uh, heart inside? <laughs> it started. I'll just give, a, give another nod to, to Festeg and then uh, walk in. How would Festeg react to that little interaction? Festeg would like he'd be a little bit think a little bit thrown off because he's used to more of the downtrodden. He's used to people viewing him as a soldier and like nothing more. 
So like the exchange before was more probably what was natural to him, but like having someone to basically tell him like, no, you need like hearts. What we need at this moment is like, Hmm, he's different. I like different. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. As you guys walk in and as you catch up to the rest of the party, the rest of the group, this command tent has all kinds of furs lining the ground where there might've been mud there are furs and dry grass, patches of earth that are that are that were mud, but that have been dried. And you get the sense that this might have been done through magical means. There are there is a large fire pit that not it hasn't just been dug. It was dug, and then a large metal kind of like brazier was placed and is hosting a large fire there. The tent itself is actually taller, so it could fit a troll inside. Um, but because trolls and orcs are so closely related, there's not really a lot of precedent for like a representative of the trolls to come by. They are essentially cousins when it comes to race and when it comes to lineage. As your party enters and joins the command tent, there are two people inside and you recognize them as the two that were leading from before. And Fledge, the orc that was kind of bellowing out and giving orders as the, as the group was marching is brooding with his back to you as he stares into the brazier. Cross-legged, forearms resting heavy on his knees, his lower tusks kind of jutting almost up to the same level as his nose. Near the fire facing you is the Wolfengard, the, the, the singular guard that was accompanying him on the boulder as he was calling out orders today. And this guard kind of bends down Wolfang, you have company. Yes, I know we've got company. I heard them come in. The Wolfengard stands straight again. What's your business here? Speak up. You uh, waiting for us or are the other guys going to speak? At this point, no one in the room is speaking. Perfect. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Then uh, Wintrek, I think, will uh, give a nervous kind of side glance to uh, uh, Alderman. I just kind of see what what Alderman's doing. Alderman is like, you see his lower jaw working. His lips aren't splitting. Like he's trying to say words, but he doesn't have the stomach to speak up. Gotcha. Uh. Yeah, I want to actually use a bit of magic here, if I could. Um, what are you so thinking? I'm I'm thinking I want to either try and calm uh, Alderman's emotions or kind of boost his confidence a little bit in in kind of an emotional like just just a little subtle push mm-hmm. uh, in that way to to kind of help help with that. And so I think I'm going to spend. Because it's it's one for target. It's one mana. And the first mana point is to identify a target. Use your full range with one point, which at this point is three spaces, I believe is what we agreed on. Yep. And to assign an effect. Now, that effect has to do with your base stats. So if it's healing, it would be HP. If it is emotional influence, it might be awareness or instinct. It's how you want to flavor this. Mm-hmm. But use your stats to your advantage in trying to compose this. I will let you know how well it does. 
based okay. on the intent that you've given me. I will specify if you're trying to help his emotions, it has to be either instinct or awareness that you're working with. Gotcha. I think I'll do aware. Um, awesome. And yeah, just kind of just kind of give him give him a little bit of a, a, a confidence boost, not necessarily calm. I think I want to take it more in the like, hey, you here, you're here, you're representing people. You can do this uh, type of like uh, encouragement. I want you to roll your dice, add your awareness modifier, okay. and we'll see how well the spell goes. Gotcha. Can I, uh, after, after it succeeds, can I decide if I want to add an additional mana to, uh, to increase the effect? In composing the spell, you have to pump in as much mana as you can before it releases. Gotcha. Okay. Then I think I'll, then I think I'll do two mana. Um, two mana? Two mana in there. If you are going to do that, I will allow you to, with an additional point of man, you can increase the effectiveness of the spell's uh, specific function, which is confidence. Mm -hmm. um, I will say that with one mana, you can make a penalty roll, which in this situation, you roll your dice and then you roll it again, but add half of the second result. Okay. So go for it. Oh. So the first one is a uh, natural one uh, for Ooh. four for four. Okay. And then the, the penalty uh, is, oh my goodness. That's another natural one. <laughs> so Why in this moment, and I think that with two nat ones back to back, I'm not yeah. compound them per se, but I will say that like, <laughs> what are you doing? Is he, is this, as Algerman looks down at you, you're trying to compose this subtly, I would imagine. Yeah. Oh, but as 100%. you're weaving your hands and as you're trying to be subtle, your focus is kind of lost in the tension of the room between, and you you know that there's tension between Algerman and Krimrog, but then you also realize that there's tension inside the tent too. So all yeah. together, you're like, oh, okay. Let's, uh, and he's like, uh, what are you doing? But it's it's when... He says that, that the Wolfengard steps forward with both hands holding his great axe. I'd be very careful with what you're about to do. Uh, my, my apologies. Uh, and he kind of gestures. Please, to please excuse, everyone. please excuse this. Please excuse my uh, associate here. We're just, uh, uh, and he kind of looks to you like, I really wish that magic works right now because yeah. I think he knows at that moment, like what you were trying to go for. And then he yeah. realizes and like, oh, frick, I don't have that now. Uh, I started <laughs> talking. I got to say something. Yeah. So he will look to the Wolfengard. You know, uh, uh, we would like an audience with the uh, the Wolfang Fledge, if it pleases him, and to discuss arrangements for uh, future relations between our many tribes orcs and uh gorin and whatnot and there's this oppressive silence even as the wolfengard slowly kind of retreats back and pushes the pommel of his great axe back into the ground like a walking stick so are uh, May we have a few moments of your time, sir? Do you really think 
I'm in a place to have negotiations with you, Lor. And you feel your each of you is some way. For those that are outside the tent, you notice the mood even outside shifting. And for whatever warmth might have been inside the tent, it has suddenly become quite cold. Wintrek's going to step off to the side a little bit, just out from behind Alderman and and say, uh, I, I do apologize for our intrusion as we have been uh, around the camp. We've noticed just some fear of the unknown, not mistrust, but fear of the unknown that uh, has come over many of our own people. We would seek to bring back to them confidence of a a plan, confidence of the direction we are yeah, 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 I get it. It sounds great. Wonderful. I'll take it into account. This, this, this orc has still not turned around from his fire, but even as to attempt to make that connection and to have that conversation, he's cut you off. Mm. Now, hold on a second. That's completely uncalled for. You are the leader. You are the Volfang. Take ownership for what's happening here and help us help our own. And with that, Pledge, finally stands up now fledge orcs in general kind of peak at about six and a half feet tall right so he's not quite as tall as algermon at least the first orc isn't the wolfengard yeah fledge stands a full head taller than his compatriot and turns to look at this man eye to eye and he erupts i don't care what the tribes want Get out! The two leaders flinch. Krimrog has immediately beelined for the door. <laughs> and outside, you see him step out and is now kind of pacing outside, looking up at the sky. Um, Algerman, <laughs> he'll snort and he tells Wintrek. Stay here. You wait until he's ready to talk, and then you come get me when he is. Augerman storms out. Can I make an uh, aware roll to see, um, to kind of gain a little bit of insight into why, why that specific, like why he blew up as much as he did, like Fledge? Or is this kind of a pretty tense or a pretty uh like, is this is so thing. thick with emotion there's no okay i can't honestly give you that at this moment because there's yeah. so much to dissect yeah but for now i will say there's an opportunity to learn more but you have to invest some time maybe even some social into how this works i'm going to prompt you when the best time is for that love it so then wind will just follow follow outside and just kind of stay by the door then just uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. And that's that's the Wolfengard. As as you might have even stepped outside following him, but mm-hmm. this Wolfengard follows you, this blue skinned orc. And as as you step out, you notice that this guy with his sea green eyes, the most striking thing about him isn't this weird coloration of his skin or even his eyes. It's the gem that's been embedded in the middle of his forehead. Oh. It's blood 
ruby red. Mm. And it glances off the torchlight as he steps outside with you and glows in the dark slightly as he talks to you. Look, I, he kind of holds up a hand, calming. My name is Tivol, son of Doom. I'm the head of the Wolfengard. Well, I'm the last of the Wolfengard. And you realize again that the war has affected more than just you. Mm -hmm. It's affected even the leadership structure within the new leadership structure. There's no... You're essentially talking to the Secret Service, and there's only one secret agent left. Yeah. Listen, um... I need your help. He won't listen to the voice of a council, but maybe from the regular folk. You sound well-spoken. If he hears from different people that aren't on the councils, maybe he'll listen. It seems at this moment he uh, is preoccupied. I might try again soon, but that is that is wise. I, I will continue to try for my people's sake. I can promise you that the only time you're going to get is now. This is the best he's been in the past few days. He actually said hello to me this morning. I would believe it. <laughs> Has it's been that rough? I can't okay. suppose to know what losing a father must feel like, but in his case, it's justifiable. I understand. And Wintrek's going to turn to... to uh, Nyrax and kind of Festeg and just kind of looking like do either of you have uh, any information that you've gathered or anything that um, might help in having conversations with uh, with Fledge? I think that this Tival would probably look at the both of you and say Honestly, I don't think that it matters what you know or what you don't know. I just, I want the four of you, if you'd like, to make some kind of social role as you're observing this guy. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to go with Will, I think. Okay. Will is much more of a charismatic or drive, like your, your force of will, your presence, your personality is kind of exuded at this moment. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Uh, so let's go instinct then. Awesome. Oh, instinct. Yes. Instinct, looking, instinct. Looking at more of his like posturing, so I'm going to look at move. Oh yeah. Oh, move. That's great. Nice. So, in a social situation, movement is, is definitely about posturing, but it's much more political. You are positioning them, or you're attempting to see if they are positioning you. Instinct would be a much better route, but I can still give you some information if you choose movement as your modifier. Yeah. Like, well. I think let's do that just so we have something different. Because <laughs> I was otherwise I was thinking like instinct. Eh. <laughs> the other two are doing instinct. <laughs> so in this situation, I'll give you this. We have two people rolling for instinct. What were your totals there? Uh, crit. So seven. Oh, wow. Crit, crit fail three. <laughs> Yo, wait, okay, hold on. I'm not in Discord. You guys got to let me know who said what. Oh, sorry. Uh, Wintrek got a crit uh, plus one, so seven. Yeah, and then Nyrax got a crit fail with, so it's three. 
Got it. So in this moment, the rain is still hitting you hard, Nyrex. I'm sorry. It's it's rough. <laughs> you're standing outside doing your due diligence, and you're practically you're distracted by the cold as well as Crimrog pacing outside. Yeah. And in in Wintrick's case, I think that there's this this element of actually let's have you roll your movement as well, Fasteg. All right. So my movement roll was a uh, crit, so that's a seven. <laughs> okay. Both of you together, I'm going to give this to you simultaneously. Tival has been standing in the rain for only a few moments, but he stands proud. He's not shirking from this situation or from the circumstances. He's meeting your eye. He is earnest in how he's responding. And his earnestness is based off of a desire that's deeper than just military association or rank. There's concern in him. Hmm. And with movement, you understand he is trying to position you, but it's not for the sake of manipulation or to, to slight you in some way. He's trying to get back up. He's trying to get back up to help this man. Gotcha. Okay. Then uh, after looking at uh, Nyrax and Festeg, I think, uh, and then back to uh, Tval, I think we should try. If this man is going to lead us, we need to let him know that we are with him. Even if the council, even if there's tension in the council, we need to make sure that he knows he has support uh and, and look back to Tival and say all right we will we'll go in and uh just kind of start walking towards the tent he doesn't even have time to respond to you he's kind of overwhelmed by the fact that you just agreed so readily but he's not going to question it he's just stepping <laughs> aside open the door and you three i assume you three will step in i think the actual will hesitate a little bit and then go. Okay. Once he's made sure Krimrog is okay. Yeah, Krimrog is pacing. And you know what? I'm going to make a quick roll. For all intents and purposes, he is aware of the context because he just got shouted at. But as he looks to you, as you check on him, he doesn't say anything. He waves a hand in the air. And it's kind of unnerving for a man that was so warm only a few minutes ago to suddenly be so reserved and quiet. But he looks to you, and he looks to the tent, and he kind of gives this nod gesture to the door, almost as a sign of grace, like, go ahead, I'll be here. We'll nod and then step through the door. Uh, as we're entering into the tent, uh, Wintrek's just uh, going to, is Fledge still, like, turned towards the fire? He's gone back to the fire, yes. He's, he's standing, arms crossed, but he's looking down at the fire now. Okay. Uh, Wintrek will just kind of uh, clear his throat a little bit um, and say, um, I I apologize for our leader's recklessness in, in speaking. They have a lot of concerns, which I can't imagine the pressure you are feeling as well. But we, as 
not representatives of our nations, not in places of authority. We wanted to encourage you in knowing that we appreciate the mantle you have taken, heavy though it may be, in your father's absence. We all miss him. We cannot miss him as much as you, though. In that moment, I want each of you to be aware of some things. I've got to let my my hand down to you for a minute to show you my cards. Ledge will not respond to force or manipulation. And I'm not saying that you are. Right. But the nature of the body social roles, brawn and move, are going to come at a disadvantage if you are using those things and trying to interact with him. But if it's true to your character, I'd say do it for the sake of the story, for the story, right? Yeah. However, for sake of gameplay, for sake of mechanics, for sake of truth to a character, soul roles will come as enhanced. Okay. Which means you can essentially roll twice and take the higher result. Ah. We can roll, roll twice, take the lower result. Gotcha. So I think Wintrek right now is definitely trying to do, I think, a will more than anything else. Like being that charismatic kind of, uh, but not in a flashy, showy way, but in a let's connect together through uh, a, a common emotional bond. Go ahead and make your rolls. If you so choose to roll, Wintrick is initiating this, but if anyone else wants to add to or do something different, go ahead. I don't have anything I'd contribute at the moment. I kind of would be more <laughs> reacting to see how this goes. Yeah, I don't think Nyrax would do much either. He's very much a background character. But but guys, the, the last time I rolled in this tent, I rolled two nat ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got a minor system now. It's fine. <laughs> It's great. We're here. We go. Okay. Work it out. The dice have been worked out. You're good. Yeah. Okay. So it's at enhanced. So roll twice. Okay. So the first one was a uh, two. Okay. The next was at three. So a total of five. You needed a four. Okay. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> With this, Ledge will. Turn only so far to look at you with the most bombastic side eye you've ever seen. <laughs> but he's acknowledging you and he's listening. And then Ival speaks. Volfang. Fledge. We should take this time to mourn. With all we face, some acknowledging our losses might be good for morale. At least then we'd be fighting for mud and not for our pain. Fledge, our fight is with pain. It's why we began the war in the first place. High taxation, abuse of our kind, favoritism in military and politics is the kind of pain that lives in the heart. That pain cannot be stripped of the little pure and good feelings for the dead. We should mourn our dead. We should mourn the loss of our friends, our families. He'll lean in and he says, our leaders. And at that, Ledge stiffens. And what is left of my father to mourn for, Tivor? There is not one piece of him that we can bury. 
Not one piece we can send up on a pyre. Our generals have been drawn and quartered. Our priests have been tied to posts and left to rot. And our warriors have been subjugated to a life of servitude to plead the lives of their families. We cannot mourn our dead if there is no body to mourn. I will not mourn our father, Tivold. I will live in anguish over him. And I will live up to every ounce of what he taught me. Mourning does not require a body. It means a time to respect the dead, honor them, and to prepare for the next steps without them. Yes, it is painful. I understand that. We don't. If we don't, we'll be aimless in the wilderness. We'll be a snake with no head. We will decay until it's every man and family for himself. I will not mourn for our father. We need to move on, Fletch. I will not mourn him! Can Any of you can make an instinct or awareness roll. Yeah, I was going to say, can I make an awareness roll for that? Okay. Uh, Wintrick got a seven. Festa got a seven instinct roll. Um, Nyrax got an eight instinct roll. Whoa! Ooh, with a six. <laughs> okay. okay, big flexing over here. Yeah. That's really good. You guys did great. That's awesome. Okay, so for those that used instinct... He is, you're observing this with your eyes, your ears, and with your senses, your sensory capacities. His shoulders are hunched. His head is low. He, is, he, he looks like he's ready for a fight. He could burst out and strike Tival with a fist or could tackle him. He is physically in a fighting stance. He's ready to move, but his eyes, his eyes are on fire. No not fire. His eyes are reflecting firelight. And tears are welling in them. And for those that used awareness, because you did so high, the flesh isn't refusing to bury his father. That'd be impossible. His body is, is not here. He's refusing to bury his father's memory. Yeah. And it's Acknowledging that he is gone would be the nail in the coffin, the last nail in the coffin for Fledge. And in this moment, Tival's going to spin to the rest of you. What about you? What do you think about this? Should we mourn or ignore our dead? What say you? Fletch, it's been... I know how heavy your heart must be right now with the the burden of loss sinking deeply. I've been in similar spots. I know the pain, the the anguish it must feel. But your father, the yoke of leadership is now no longer rests on him. Unfortunately, the, those reins are now on you. Like that yoke is yours to bear, your burden to carry. But we will be here to help you through this just as we would have helped your father in any means possible. Uh, Wintrek will uh, kind of piggyback off that and um, the Mourning of the dead is not is not burying is not simply burying them. It is celebrating the influence, the life, the joy they brought us. In those celebrations, we find why we miss them. We find why we why this emptiness inside is all-consuming because we know that the joy the, that they brought us, the lessons that they taught us, there will be no more. 
So to honor them, we remember them. We pass on those lessons. We pass on those skills. We enjoy each other. You're speaking very persuasively, and I think that that needs to be rewarded. I'm not quite sure how Fletch is going to respond, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to roll a d6 on my end. I want you to roll a d6 on your end, and we're going to treat this like drive. Okay. This is essentially the meeting of two wills right now. And this this role will determine a lot (laughs) of where the campaign is going to go forward from here. So um, I'm going to roll my end, and then I'm going to have you roll your end and tell me the answer. Okay? Okay. And this, again, we're not adding modifiers. We're just kind of treating it like a symbolic chance role. Whoever has the higher role is going to affect how this plays out. Gotcha. Hey, I've got mine. Go ahead and do yours. And I've got mine. What is your result? Mine is a five. As Fledge hears you, the, the both of you, frankly, talking, he turns to face you, and he crosses the realm to Windtrek, standing eye to eye. You can smell the spiced meats that are on his breath, as well as no small amount of alcohol. He looks you up and down. <laughs> he looks to Nyrex. He looks up at Festig last of all. Thank you. Those are your quarters. That's all I need for now. And Fledge will turn around and go back to the flames. And he does something that catches your attention. You don't need to roll for this. As he stands looking at the fire, he clasps his fists behind his back. Something his father was frequently spotted doing that I'm not sure that even Fledge recognizes he's doing himself. Mm. Wintrek has the same smile that he had uh, listening to the children talk about magic earlier. (laughs) And uh, just kind of turns to Tival, nods, and then walks out. Tival is... Make either instinct or awareness, any one of you, in looking at Tival as you leave. <laughs> that's a, a crit for Wintrek on aware, so that's a, that's a nine. Nice. Uh, four instinct. Uh, Festeg also was rolling awareness and got a crit. But that's just a six for him. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, this is great. Okay. Dice are hot. Yeah, they are. So as just sensory awareness is not going to give you a whole lot right now, you know that he's tense. He's still coming down from what was essentially going to be an argument. The two leading, the two leaders essentially of the tribes now, one logistical, political, and military, and the other purely military for the sake of protection of their leader. And so you know that he's tense, and that's all you can glean as you step outside. But the other two, as you go to leave, perhaps for Festeg, it's your orcish nature, you know kind of the idiosyncrasies of culture. There's an element of pride that was hurt in how this went to him. And he's more reserved now. 
I want you guys to note for your records, whoever's note keeper, if you keep your own notes, mm-hmm. I want you to write down that Fledge socially has risen to four on the social scale. He is neutral with you. Beforehand, he was indifferent. Mm-hmm. Tival was actually more hopeful, but because of how things played out, he has dropped to rank three, indifferent. Mechanically speaking, neutral means that he will not aggress or help you unless frauded or unless he has a direct need to fulfill by doing so. And indifferent is he is not, he is subconsciously, if anything, making the decision to not associate with you. It's the decision that, oh, they're here. Great. He's not aggressing you. He's not helping you. But again, you have to prod him to get what he wants, to get what you want. And it has to play to his ends. It cannot be just for altruistic means for him to act in your favor. Gotcha. Now, as we close, and as you guys have had this interaction, I feel that each of you would disperse in your own way. For sake of time, I'm going to give you a shortcut scene. The last time you tasted rain from the sky was during the funeral. And as you rise the next morning, and though there are some, most of the wood around here is not dry. The surrounding brush, brush veils and meadows don't have wood that is sufficient for burning. And then Fledge steps out of his tent and he has that same warforge from yesterday carrying many logs that were prepared. As the logs were cut, they were dried next to his brazier. And he brings those and has many of his servants and even Tival himself help arrange a funeral pyre. After that's done, symbolically, Ledge will start the flame. And he's already invited the camp to come and throw in the effects or their symbols or their their own unique talismans of grief to the flame as a sign of respect. But then he steps away and he secludes himself back in the tent. You did have an effect on Fledge, but it wasn't enough for him to let go of the grief in a way that allowed him to truly mourn. He cannot really let go of his dad. And what the three of you don't see is as he mourns, he falls to his knees in this moment of privacy, hands and knees, sits back down on his heels and sobs. And as he's doing so, as his shoulders are heaving, as he is rubbing, shoving the palms of his hands into his eyes, he hears a whisper and he whips around. The room is empty. He stands. Hello. He hears it again. Who's that? Come home. And we're going to stop there for this session. This is Guaranteed Adventures. Running this adventure is Dale from Right on Dale. 
The players are Tim as Wintrick, Kyle as Nyrax, and Nathan as Festig. This is a special creator quest we are doing with Dale in a TTRPG system and world he is creating. Check out the episode description for more ways to connect with Dale. We'll see you next week for episode two of Eshabel Tolls Fallen. Fallen.